Welcome. For a status, I am Malihe Razazan. On April 16th, a new draft constitution that significantly increases the powers of Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan was approved by voters in a referendum. On the surface, the proposed changes may be seen as a benign attempt to modernize Turkey's constitution, which was drawn up by the Turkish military after the coup of 1980. But in reality, the plan turns Turkey from a parliamentary to a presidential republic, significantly increasing the powers of Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. So what are the most important changes to the Turkish constitution that the April 16 vote will bring about? And what do the results tell us about the AKP ruling party's base of support and who is the opposition in Turkey? Shahram Agamir put these questions to Sinan Birdal, visiting assistant professor in international relations and Middle East studies at the University of Southern California. First of all, it increases the control of the president over the legislative and over the judiciary. And it changes the parliamentary regime into a presidential regime. So what are these changes? What are we talking about? First of all, under the current regime, the parliamentary regime, the cabinet emerges out of the parliament. The leader of the majority group in the parliament gets a mandate from the president to establish a government, and then it gets a vote of confidence from the parliament. And the government as a whole and all of the ministers personally are responsible to the parliament. So what does that mean? In case they lose the confidence of the parliament, the cabinet might be brought down without necessarily the parliament getting dissolved. This system now changes. There will be no cabinet. So all the ministers are going to be appointed by the president. They will be solely responsible to the president. We don't know how many ministers there are going to be or how many vice presidents. The numbers of these uh, positions, as well as what their exact authority will be, is going to be determined by the will of the president himself. So the parliament is losing its control over the government. And also, the president can dissolve the parliament and take the country to elections. This is another important distinction. Another important distinction is the grip over the majority in the parliament. Basically, the president can be right now also the leader of a party. This means that he will be the chairman of the AKP once again. So through the party, the president will also be able to control the parliament. So in distinction, for example, from the American system, in the sense, well, the party system in America is, of course, appropriate to a federal regime. Now, this is a unitary administrative structure we're talking about. The party is controlled through and through by the leader of the party. This is how the party system is set up by the coup regime itself. This doesn't change, actually, which means that all the candidates for parliamentary position, all the candidates for municipalities, 
as a matter of fact, all of the candidates of the party, as well as all uh, party organizations, are controlled directly by the leader of the party. And that's not just for the AKP. This is how the uh, party system works according to the law promulgated by the Kuh regime. So, since presidential elections and parliamentary elections are going to take place at the same time, on the same day, in other words, all of the members of the parliament will change with the president, it's going to be very likely that the president and the majority party will be from the same party. This is also giving the president extraordinary authority over the parliament. So this presidential system doesn't resemble the American presidential system, which is characterized by division of powers and checks and balances. It looks much more like an African presidential system. It doesn't even look like Latin American presidential systems, which have been, as you would know, historically also quite authoritarian and prone to instability, coups, and so on and so forth. This is the parliamentary side of it. If you look at the judiciary, the president gets new powers over appointment of high levels, judges as well as prosecutors, directly as well as indirectly. Some of the judges to the highest positions, he will be able to appoint them by himself, unilaterally. And some of them, of course, he will be able to control some of the appointments through its control over the party and over the parliament. Also, the president will have and does have, as we speak, extraordinary powers in appointing high-level officials to positions of the so-called autonomous institutions. These institutions, which have been hallmarks of neoliberal governance, central bank, you know, and similar institutions which regulate capital markets, for example, or regulating the media, for example, radio and television, and so on and so forth, they all will be also under the president's control. In other words, all the state apparatus will be controlled by the president. In Aristotle's words, it's called rule by decree. The Turkish referendum that took place on April 16, it happened under the state of emergency imposed after the um, attempted coup of July 2016 last year. Describe to us what this state of emergency entails and how it affected the voting. In a nutshell, the emergency regime means that the government, any action of the government, is immune from judicial review. For example, the government that are a threat to the regime and fires you from your job and then prohibits you from going abroad. You cannot apply to any court about this. There is no legal procedure that allows you to challenge this decision by the government. They established a commission just to make sure that people's applications do not go to the European Court of Human Rights because the statute of the court basically requires that all applicants go through domestic legal procedures first. It's not a legal court. It's an administrative commission which has the sort of illusion of legal procedure. But basically, 
the main function of this commission is to put off the applications to the European Court of Human Rights as much as possible. Except from this, even the applications to uh, the Constitutional Court, which is the equivalent of the Supreme Court in the States, have been denied by Constitutional Court. Even the Constitutional Court said that it does not have any authority to review these extraordinary emergency orders. In other words, the Constitutional Court admitted that this emergency order is basically unconstitutional. And what it means is there have been crackdown on the opposition. Yes, exactly. And then basically challenging these practices in a legal way is completely shut off. This is basically what the Constitutional Court is saying. If the Constitutional Court says, I don't have any jurisdiction over emergency orders promulgated by the government, it is basically admitting that this is a government outside of the Constitution. So de facto, that means that the Constitution does not exist or is not valid anymore. These were the conditions under which the country went into these elections. So what were the practical consequences? Well, first of all, the opposition parties, and not just the political parties, but also NGOs, activists in the opposition, were not allowed to campaign freely, which is admitted by all international monitors in these elections. Basically, the no campaign was attacked in the streets. Some people got detained. Some people got arrested. The media was closed for the no campaign. Most of the TV stations in the opposition are closed down anyway. You know, the plight of journalists in Turkey. Turkey has one of the highest numbers of journalists sitting in prison. So under these circumstances, basically, the no campaign had no opportunity to reach out to the public and also come up with a strategy after the referendum. We should also mention that both leaders of the third biggest opposition party in the parliament, the HDP, are sitting in prison. Also other members of this party. This is the People's Democratic Party, the leftist People's Democratic Party that you're referring yes, to. Yes, the HDP, yes, the People's Democratic Party is an alliance between the socialist left as well as feminist, anarchists, LGBT activists, and environmentalists. Yes, and the Kurdish liberation movement. The chairs of this party have been imprisoned, as well as some members of the parliament have been imprisoned. And also, in the Kurdish region of the country, there has been a major counterinsurgency war being raised against not only the PKK and the PKK militants, but also against the larger Kurdish public who are being punished for supporting the HDP in the last few elections. And it's a collective punishment. Yes, it is a collective punishment. We know this because we know how, for example, when we talk about places like Diyarbakir, the historical Sur district, basically inside the ancient Diyarbakir castle, has been raised to the ground completely. People who've been living there have lost their homes, have been driven out. Same goes for Nusaib in Jizre. You know, we can list these places. Basically, if you look at the pictures 
from these places. They pretty much look like places raised by the Syrian civil war. In also, you know, we have to factor in that in these parts of the country, which have been subjected to a counterinsurgency urban warfare, we cannot talk about fair and free elections. It was also apparently these ballot boxes which raised most of the suspicions about these elections.